1: Welcome to the podcast, everybody. Order of the day. We'll be late on this one. Will Smith. Oh, yeah. He, <laughs> he slapped the rock, right? Guys, there's breaking news. <laughs> we're only six days late. So I'll try to say some things that not everybody has already said about it. Um, it made me think about reality bubbles when it occurred. Mm-hmm. The photos from, I guess, the second deck of the thing were like, people like hugging him and consoling him and calming him down and all these sorts of things. And I think what was going on in, at least with, I didn't, nobody's watching the Oscars that I knew, but when the clip got shared, was like, oh my God, this guy just committed assault. How the hell did he have the gall to sit back down yeah, in yeah. that theater? Uh, so it was just very interesting. And he obviously then went up and made no apology to Chris Rock in his acceptance speech, like explicitly ex- excluded him. Um and kind of mulled over it. And then it wasn't until the next day that I think his PR team probably sat down with him was like, here's what's been happening on the internet. Yeah, yeah. So <laughs> most people think that was kind of wild. Yes. And not cult. And it. I know that you didn't receive that for about several hours yeah. afterwards. Everybody told you that like it was cool and like you're a river of love that needs to protect your family and then clapped for that. But that was viewed as wildly off yeah. by a huge portion of the population. It was just very interesting for me to see. And it made me, cause on the one hand, I do think it's important to, especially when you're an online figure to block out the opinions of the masses and mm-hmm. have a select group of people that are allowed to weigh in on what is good, not good and bad, but, um, right and wrong in your life. Otherwise you get pulled apart by people that don't understand, don't know, and are very likely 12-year-olds commenting. <laughs> yeah, yeah, otherwise you get a bunch of people eating cheeseburgers telling you it's not okay to tase a dead rat. Yeah, yes, exactly. Uh, so I thought that, and that's been my go-to. And I was like, oh, there's a flaw with that if you are incredibly powerful in your circle and they all share the same. The Ben Simmons effect. The Ben Simmons effect, I would say, was, mm-hmm. occur- was going on there. And not that there's an objective right and wrong, but. I feel like I could sit down with him and be like, explain it to him pretty clearly in a way that even he would understand if he were calm and yep. had not a yes man
2: right next to him in that moment. So it just made me think about reality bubbles. and uh, Also, what a night for him emotionally. Yeah, that, he, I mean, Will Smith got angrier, sadder, and happier in one night than I have been in so long. He's out at the club afterwards celebrating like nothing went wrong. Yeah. Just quite a night. Real rollercoaster of emotions for him.
1: Wild. The other thing that I thought was interesting is the medicalization of baldness.
2: Yeah, this is what I wanted to talk about. This was
1: fascinating to me. He instinctively understood, so did his PR team, that, so let's let's zoom out. I saw a lot of people being like, I didn't know she had alopecia. To be clear, alopecia is basically a synonym for uh, unchosen baldness. It's not chemo style. It's it's the kind of baldness
2: that men get all the time. Well, and are sometimes all the sometimes time. you do get uh, cases of alopecia where you have no arm hair, eyebrows, patches like hair. on your face. Someone I know. <laughs> yes, I'm just saying. There's someone de- very close. There's to degrees me. of it, but no, she <laughs> still she still has hair even on the top of her head. She just didn't like the way it looked, so it's she patchy shaved or whatever. It. Yeah, but like. Uh, we have been, and I'm not saying that this is
1: right, if you want to say this is generally wrong, making fun of baldness forever. In fact, and this is this is my highlight for you fans, nobody watched the Oscars, so this slipped unnoticed. Did you know that in the opening monologue, did you see this? I, I know what you're going Damn with. Damn it! <laughs> <laughs> that Amy Schumer made a LeBron James hairline joke. Yeah, of course. Wild, teased him, Teased him for his alopecia. Teased him for his alopecia yep. in the opener, and it was nothing but laughs. Nobody stood up and slapped her. Nobody, mm-hmm. you know, it was just... Fine, and it would have never been commented on. Yeah, uh, that there is any discussion about, like you know, when my family's
2: medical history was brought up. I think that is a total cop out. Oh no, it's crazy. I think that the treating all medical conditions as the same is. So silly, and I think obviously silly. People were saying, oh, this is an autoimmune disease. It's an autoimmune disease. disease. <laughs> I, I guess. It's no, it is. Not, it is. No, no, but I'm saying- Literally. Yes, but it's not, <laughs> not all autoimmune diseases are, I think, equally untouchable by comedians. Let's put it that way. We have
1: collectively as a society decided that baldness has been something that you can make fun of, that hairlines and baldness. Now, maybe we should collectively change that, but this was an a strange moment to- hop the fence and go, no, as of right now, this is now a medical issue that you are not allowed to tease. And if you tease it, you can be driven into an irate rage.
2: The the thing I thought was so interesting was that there were some, a minority of people saying good for him. He had to do it. Don't, no one gets to make that joke about your woman. And I think that's so strange because if LeBron, if Chris Rock had teased LeBron for going bald and LeBron had gotten up there and slapped him, I don't think anyone would have been going, well, that's what you get. Mm -hmm. That's what you get when you tease hair loss. Like that's just not our universal view of how off limits hair loss is. Mm -hmm. So I think that was interesting because that was the mental experiment I went. I was like, okay, well, is this justified? Not in my mind. I run run this through the gamut and I don't see any world in which I think this is okay to do. Mm -hmm.
1: Yeah, I think it's, I mean, depending on the uh, subculture of honor that you live in in pockets of the US where like words need to be defended, like what kind of words require... Defensive one's honor. This certainly doesn't hit it for me,
2: but I know that there are pockets of America that feel, but this isn't your friend doing it at a party, which I could even say would be different. This is what happens at the Oscars is they hire a comedian to roast the audience. Mm-hmm. And that's accepted as part of the protocol. So it's kind of like if you went to an Andrew Schultz stand-up comedy show and then got furious that he heckled you. It's like, this mm-hmm. isn't even just a regular comedy show. You went to the show for the comedian who heckles people. Mm-hmm. You can't do that without accepting that you might get heckled. Mm-hmm. I think there's some sort of... When you go to an Andrew Schultz show, you just are signing a imaginary contract that says, I accept that I might get teased. That's what he's famous for. Yeah. And I think the Oscars, it's not a surprise that the comedians tease the people in the audience. It's been happening for years. Yes.
1: So anyway, I don't want to repeat. I totally agree. I don't want to repeat too much. I thought it was wildly ridiculous and then can we talk
2: about the most interesting part which i think is where it comes from or did you want to save that for your youtube video talk about it yeah so the thing i found most fascinating which you actually found because you watch it you go this is he even laughed at the joke Mm -hmm. you know so clearly he didn't think it was off limits and then he saw his wife was unhappy and then he went up and slapped chris rock which is an extreme response so where does that not where does that come from nobody asked where that's come from everybody just said wow will smith is wild but i thought was interesting is you found him uh, talking about, I think it was in his book. He says the entire basis for my self esteem was foundationally dependent upon whether or not my woman was happy. My self image is inexorably bound up in my woman's opinion and approval of me. Mm-hmm. So most people aren't wired that way. I Actually, think that's a nightmare setup to have. It's very unfortunate for him, but it partially explains why this happened. And then you found an Oprah video where he says, uh, I have carried a sense of failing every woman I interact with after watching my dad beat my mom. Everything from that moment on has been an apology to my mother for my inaction. Mm -hmm. And so then you get one layer deeper, and you're like, oh, this is a guy who laughed because he thought the joke was fine, saw that Jada was unhappy, and then I think because of his trauma growing up with his abusive father, reacted as if Chris Rock had beaten his mom physically. Mm -hmm. And all of a sudden, you go from... Like, what a wild thing that couldn't possibly be justified to, oh, I understand exactly how this happened. And it's still bad, but yeah, this isn't, this isn't because he teased Jada's hair. This is because Will Smith grew up with an abusive father and has felt like a failure for not protecting his mom when he was a child. Mm -hmm. And that's what, that's what's happening. And I thought that was just a really fascinating angle that I hadn't realized because I didn't, I hadn't read the book or seen the Oprah interview until after the slap. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, no, I was just clicking around and found those things and then dug in and
1: watched the whole interview and heard excerpts of the book. It's, it's uncanny how eerily he predicts this event with the things that he says. Well, he basically says, I get, I... There's another line. I didn't write it down. I mean, I might have written it to you, but I can go to my notes. It'll be in the video. But there's a solid minute where you're just like, he just said that I will be triggered if my woman is unhappy and I feel the slightest need to protect her. Uh, because I feel like a total failure and inadequate in that regard. Well, he also
2: (laughs) says, I feel like a failure as a man if my woman is unhappy. Because people are going, how could could he possibly be okay with his wife having sex with his son's friend, Mm -hmm. but not with a joke about hair loss? Because to most people, that's not how they're wired at all. They'd be way more comfortable with the joke than with the infidelity. Until you look at it through the lens of, again, because of his dad beating his mom and how he interpreted that as his own failing he just pings for is Jada happy. Mm -hmm. And so Jada's cheating on me. Is Jada happy? Yes. Okay. This doesn't automatically mean I'm a failure as a man. Oh, that's a joke. Pretty harmless. I look over Is Jada happy. No, somehow I have failed to protect my mother from my father. Mm -hmm. You know what I mean? And so when you, when you get the lens, even if it's not how you would do it, you go, Oh, I actually understand why he's more upset at Chris Rock than at August. Yeah. Uh, and, and they, who knows? Maybe, maybe the, he's also upset at August behind closed doors. There's but. another
1: video where they talk about how women bring out this rage in him, and he goes, "I don't know what it's from. I don't know." And it's just like it was posted ten days ago. Yeah, it's just wild. It's uh, and you, you just put all the puzzle pieces together. I and I don't. This now I'm going a step farther in psychologizing. But when he has spoken about Jada, he obviously he speaks very much about loving her, and I'm trying not to add too much internet commentary to what I've seen him say. But he has said, I think pretty clearly, that they split up to see if he could make himself happy at one point and she, if she could make herself happy. And he added the, the line to prove to him that it, w- it was even possible for her to be happy. Mm. And you get the impression that he uh, was constantly, purposely, subconsciously re-triggering that emotion in his life where he was failing her by choosing someone who was so unhappy and so difficult to make happy, and so often um, not there, and that, and you know, he, he started planning apparently her fortieth birthday party the day she turned thirty-seven. <laughs> you know, like was just so obsessed with, and I'm not saying he was the nicest guy all the time, or I have no idea, but I, it, it, you do get a picture of somebody who puts themselves, I think, like a lot of people do, in the uncomfortable position that they were in as a kid. Yeah so that they can try to get out of it, but because they don't have the tools, they just struggle again and again and again, creating the same exact emotional pattern that they're familiar with. And anyway, the point of the video that I'm going to make, I think, is he started, he did ayahuasca, and he started doing therapy, and and he, like the first time ever he said a lot of this stuff was in his book and to his family and all this kind of stuff. He never spoke to his mother about the night. I don't know how chronic the abuse was, but there was a night where his dad punched his mom so hard that she bled out of her face and that was the scarring night for him. Um and he'd never spoken to her about it until like he was reading her that chapter of the book. Wow. So, you know, these things have never been happening. And I know that what happens is when you start to uh rip stuff up that you have repressed, you find out that there was a really good reason that you repressed it. And sure. the good reason is that so he didn't fly off the handle and fucking slap people and freak out and then cry because that was the purpose the repression was serving and you hope not to have such a public uh uncontained thing but it's like oh man this is the messy process for him of like okay i can't repress it anymore but also i have no coping tools (laughs) to handle this the only coping tool i've had my entire life is smile and tell a joke and and then you know to try to make her happy, happy, happy. Yeah. Because what I'm actually feeling on the inside is impotent rage. And he's like, okay, well, I'll uh, I'll take the repression away. And then you get impotent rage, which
2: comes out as, I'm gonna walk on stage, slap you, cry about it, not apologize. Yeah. Yeah, and the, the only, the other, I guess, bummer of the whole thing is how much people feel like they have to be a finished product. So they feel comfortable talking about past failures, but they mm-hmm. present themselves as if they're not really going through anything today and that's true of instagram it's true of authors we talked about neil strauss in his book the truth talks about how he's figured it all out the answer is monogamy and he's gonna live happily ever after well, and first he writes the game and he talks about how he's figured it all out the answer is be an amazing pickup artist right then he, so yes he writes the game and at the end of the game he's like i'm the world's best pickup artist and then at the beginning of the truth he's still socially awkward so you yeah. go well wait i thought you said you had you were a finished product which was super confident with women and at the end of the truth he's a finished product in the sense that he's got a marriage he's figured it out polyamory wasn't the way being a pickup artist wasn't the way it's a come to jesus moment about traditional marriage and monogamy and how great it is and then after that book he gets divorced and he and his wife i don't think are even like on good terms or his ex-wife and so i don't know they're on good terms but they uh they're not married anymore and he didn't write a book about it yet <laughs> yeah that's based on her social media that i'm making the assumption mm-hmm. that they're not on great terms mm-hmm. but then, so then for Will Smith's book, obviously, he felt the need to write himself as a finished product instead of writing a memoir that... Well, he actually... I don't know that he did. I think I think he very much takes the... Uh, I read the back cover. I
1: could go pull it up if you want to get the specifics. I, so the issue is that they talked, and he says this. He and Mark Manson, who I don't know how involved he was in the writing, I suspect a lot because it's well-written. Um, not to say that Will couldn't write a decent book, but Mark... It reads like Mark. Well, Mark Manson like is him. an incredible writer, yeah. and he was... Definitely, he collaborated on the yes. book that's which is like why I get on a, the book why I get a best-selling author to collaborate if you're not gonna have him do it um but in any event he said that it was mark's idea to have the arc be a story from fear to love got it
2: so yeah so i wish that hadn't been the case which is and instead it makes of being, a better book but it does i read the back cover and it talks about how you know it's all good now and it's all been worked through and we're at the happily ever after well instead of like fear towards love it's fear to love which right exactly why like I'm
1: still where work. I started. This is where I am. Yeah, and, and he's like, up
2: there. He's going, oh, I want to be a vessel of love. It's like, dude, you're clearly, <laughs> you're clearly not totally there yet. And that's okay. I think the yeah. book, I wish we lived in a place where people felt it was okay to end the book with. And now I've reoriented and I'm working on this instead of being, instead of making it have to be the end of the hero's journey is the end of the book. Mm-hmm. You know what I, I mean? Yeah,
1: I didn't, I don't know if how he actually ends the book. But I, I do know that that was what they decided the structure of the book would be was.
2: Yeah, that's fair. I mean, I haven't read the book. This is based on reading the back cover, but it is from the book. It's not. I'm not like reading a Blinkist version of the book. It's it's based on what they say in the description of the book to sell the book. Yeah, which just has much more of a finality to. Yeah, the, people love
1: arcs that end that have a beginning, a middle, and an end. It's like a beginning, a middle, and another middle is just not <laughs> satisfying. Yeah, it's story. just more. It's just more honest, and I
2: think it's more. Weirdly enough, I think people would res- it would resonate more with people because that's where they are as well. Mm. And then I think people feel a pressure to be at the end of their arc, and then people feel weird about being unfinished products. Yeah. Yes. Um, I definitely agree with the part about...
1: I don't know that it would resonate more with people. I do think there's something about the three-act hero's journey story comes back around, gives the gift. Um, what often isn't emphasized in that, which is interesting... Is that the hero's journey? I believe, even according to Joseph Campbell, was meant to be undertaken like a circle. Like you start again and again and yeah, again, yeah. and you just do it again and again and again. Um, and I don't know that that is often how it is described. That the heroes, it's like Luke did his hero's journey. Now it's his fucking whoever Ray is. Yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like also he's on a planet. <laughs> I don't. You know, he becomes the mentor at that point. Yeah. yeah. Um, instead of having more circular hero's journeys, which I think is probably truer to the experience than most people. If they're lucky, and they, they figure it out once. <laughs> they, they probably just have to start off at the beginning again. Yeah, yeah. Um, but so yeah, it was an interesting, interesting series of things that went down. Um, I'm doing a, or was gonna do a narcissism video. I'll have to figure out. The other thing that you guys might be interested in is, so I wanna make this video on Will Smith And the parts that are interesting to me is his childhood and what it looks like when somebody's working through shit and the dangers of working through shit and (laughs) and going out in public. Um, But I know that a title of like, you know, Will Smith's trauma is just not going to do well. So it needs a title that is like three things that make people instantly dislike you with Will Smith doing a slap. So I find myself, if I want to get... Uh, a lot of views on this, shoehorned into having to deliver the sweets in the video and sneak in the vegetables <laughs> in the back end, which is, I think, always how it feels when you're trying to like get stuff to be consumed by a large mm-hmm. audience. Um, but I don't, I haven't quite figured it out yet. I don't know how I'm going to do it because it's like, like what the title of the video would be. And I know the a great title would be like we did with Brie Larson, five things that make people instantly dislike you. The truth is I don't have five things. Some of them are pretty asinine. It's like hitting people in the face, <laughs> you know, like not being able to take a joke. By the
2: way, Chris Rock handled that so well. Yeah, he
1: did. I think the one thing, the one thing that I have that is an interesting point is the spinning of vices into virtues, that he did in the acceptance speech, you know, I'm, I'm a protector of my family loves, makes you do crazy things is like, yo bro, this isn't just not apologizing. This is exactly wrong. Yeah, this yeah. is so alienating to me. And I remember watching that being like, I fucking hate Will Smith. And then it was <laughs> interesting because the next day I watched him on Oprah. I was like, my heart goes out to this guy. I yeah, connect yeah. I connect with Will Smith. Um, just very interesting to see how that, uh, bullshit, defensive posture that is so obviously, I guess, not to the people in that
2: room. (laughs) Well, the other thing, I think the other thing is the idea, like we have degrees of murder, Mm -hmm. right? The idea that you protect a loved one is actually not a bad idea. (laughs) It's not a bad idea. If Chris Rock's joke was to run up and punch Jada and Will had caught his fists and then knocked him out with a punch, no one would be against him. Everyone would be like, that is how you protect your loved ones. It's awesome. It's when you... Hide that the joke, like you make the joke so bad by calling it a uh, medical condition. Yeah, yes. And when you say that you were protecting someone from a joke that by assaulting someone, yeah, it's yeah. like that's I see this happening in the world all the time where people take words and then try to redefine them. So, like, mm-hmm. words are violence. Mm-hmm. If you can get people to believe that, then yeah. reacting to them with violence is okay. And we've, a count- seen, we've a seen that thing. as self defense. Well, we've seen that, forgetting Will Smith, in activist movements, the idea of like words are violence, which means if someone says something you don't like and then you Molotov cocktail them, you're just meeting violence with violence. So so the defining of what, what, yes, I guess these are medical conditions, but what isn't worth protecting with assault and the idea of, okay, if you're going to say words are violence, you need a new word for violence that justifies actual violence. So I do see a bit of that happening. In the Will Smith incident, but also just all the time in terms of fighting to claim a word that is charged because once you do, like racism, like you claim that something's racist even though it doesn't fit the traditional definition because once you do, then you can attack it full force because we all agree racism is bad because most of us are going from a traditional definition of it. Yeah, it's wild.
1: I'm just thinking like Will's, given everything he said, in that moment, the challenging growth for him would be to see her upset and go you can handle this this is on you yeah this isn't my fault it's not my fault and it's not my problem
2: and it's not does not reflect on me Mm -hmm. you know what i mean like no i think based on what i've seen of him since the incident he thinks that her anytime she is sad it reflects upon him as a man yeah no matter what the cause is his woman is sad that says something about him as a man. And so he then jumps into action or fixing or something. And it's like the
1: challenge for him would be to sit there and be like, I am okay. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like nothing happened to me and she is capable of protecting, defending, and meeting her own needs in this moment and of self soothing. Yeah. yeah. And of well I
2: think of even being like, I'm okay, my mom is okay. Yeah. Ultimately, even though she's miffed right now, Jada will be okay. Yeah. That's and- the that's the and she, she can provide
1: the soothing that she needs yeah. in this scenario as well, which is like, even if afterwards it was, if she, she, she chirped his ear off all night about how horrible, it, like the growth for him would have been like, I
2: love you, you got to fix it. Yeah, it, was, <laughs> like, it was a joke this particular you one you through it. Is, yeah, is, especially because is she's, on, she's literally on record being like, I don't care what people say about my bald head. Yeah. I think it's beautiful. So I think, yeah, if she were to be, miffed at him and saying how he failed her. It would, you know, the next step for him would be to go, I disagree. (laughs) I think this is on you to accept that you look beautiful. I already think you look beautiful. Chris Rock is a comedian. He joked about 50 people. Mm -hmm. It's all good. Let's celebrate my Oscar. Like that's where, that's where he ideally would get to through his
1: trauma work. And that, it's just interesting because, and I've experienced the same pattern in my own life. It's the, uh, the doing nothing and the feeling okay with just like sitting in the audience in that moment is such a strange reaction he's like i can help her or i can attack him or yeah. i can like i can spring into like a just nature like not a just nature an adjust uh an adjustment mentality of how i'm going to deal with this situation as, yeah, opposed yeah. as being like it's fine and she's got this this one is hers <laughs> yeah. which would just be i think it seemed i it seems like the right thing for him given everything that i have seen and heard him say about how he works how she works um. So, anything else you want to say on the Oscars?
2: Nope. this is really. I didn't uh, see anything else from the Oscars. <laughs> so,
1: so I'm doing a narcissism video on uh, Juicy Justice for Juicy Juicy a, and uh, a couple things that <laughs> I love that Dave Chappelle's joke has really incepted. It, it, it. it actually makes it tough for me to say his name correctly. Yeah. I'm gonna. I'm going to have to when I'm
2: reading the script,
1: say his Jussie. Jussie.
2: Yeah, for Jussie. people who haven't seen that, Chris or, uh, Dave Chappelle just makes a, a random, offhanded mispronouncing of yeah, but he, he's, his he name. Does, I watch it. He does the
1: joke for about a minute and a half, and, it, he does, and then he keeps it up. It's
2: incredibly, it's remarkable how much that incepts people who have seen it to like not be entirely sure how to pronounce Jussie's name. <laughs> yeah, um, it's just good, good joke by Dave Chappelle. So it's interesting. A Couple things. The the first
1: brief one is he's denied it the whole time, and I'm I'm such a uh, I think people who watch the podcast know this. I really limit the scope of things, which I feel like I know. And as, f- and as crazy as his story sounds, the fact that he hasn't said that it's a lie does leave some pause in my mind and mm. some fear of making this video and being like, shit, what if I'm wrong? Because I actually don't know what sure. happened that night. I just know, what, what do I know? It's very difficult to imagine people who watch Empire recognize him Carrying bleach and a rope at 2 a.m. in order to dump it on him and not take his wallet—it's just like this is the the most damning thing. Is like I've I can't imagine a human being that prepared and insane, yeah, yeah. <laughs> and for like uh, it would be the the amount of cosmic luck required for such a circumstance to unfold seems while not t- while not literally impossible, practically impossible. Yeah. There's also a strange. He kept the noose on. Yes, there's other strange things, but it's all circumstantial. And you got to keep in mind, like there's a reason that they don't admit circumstantial oh, no. evidence. I and then you. and then what they have is, and his his team's defense is they had the two guys who were his trainers who said, yes, we did this. But they were questioned for like 48 hours or something,
2: which is, and I'm suspicious of cops that question the shit out of people. If anyone has seen my video on police interrogations, <laughs> yeah. they will get someone who has not committed murder to admit to murder. Yes. Um, and then. That's why you always get your lawyer. Yes, and then the suicide thing made me
1: feel a little better, which is like I am not suicidal. So, okay, this guy is crazy. <laughs> you know, like, are you kidding? Like, you're a threat to the state that somebody is gonna off you. Yeah, yeah. And some Jeffrey Epstein? Yeah. Are you kidding me? Like that you're that dangerous that that something
2: would need to happen to you. Um, yeah, Jeffrey Epstein is potentially gonna crumble got dirt on world. Yeah, leaders. gonna crumble yeah. society and our view of leaders across the globe. Yeah, you. Maybe you're innocent of being attacked. Yeah, what happens if yeah, yeah. you're right?
1: The ch- police chief in Chicago is in trouble. You know, and it, like, I don't know. It's... I guess that who, could by be the insane. way, is already in trouble. Like, all of the people associated... This is the other thing. It's it's very muddy. Like, there's... Uh, the chief is... It was accused of some other shit that, that he's dealing with now. But in any event, making this narcissism video uh, and was looking for other stuff. I was like, should I include other things outside Jesse? I'm not sure because, like some of the stuff I feel like I want more evidence of and his is he gave very brief statements before he was in the shit and his lawyers locked him down and was like don't say anything else one of the hard things I th- about catching narcissists I realize is that implicitly when people lie you always look for motive you're like and and you do a cost-benefit analysis you're like okay if this guy is caught it completely jeopardizes like take Jesse, his career his life his everything If it's true, all he gets is mild notoriety, a bit of notoriety. So you're always running these cost benefit analysis. And I think that's what is most protects narcissistic lies is normal people go, it's all fishy, but I've got no reason to distrust them because it doesn't make any sense. Like, why would he do this?
2: Yeah uh well, you encountered this i mean that guy i don't know if you want to call that guy a narcissist or a sociopath oh, dude but i've encountered this several times you you had a guy who f- pretended he had cancer in college yeah. right because he wanted to get close to you and you weren't really interested but then you just felt bad because he said he was gonna die in a yeah, week yeah. and so you're like oh i'll be his friend for a week and he just kept creating more and more elaborate lies and you go no one would do this the guy was literally like injecting himself with with harmless saline solutions in the neck right i, I mean i
1: literally watched him take a I don't know if he injected it, something to put in his neck. And I was young and naive at the time, but, and I didn't believe, I remember at the time going, none of this makes any sense. And it wasn't just to me. The other thing is, he lied to everybody. He lied to his entire floor. He lied to this. He had fake seizures. He lied to fucking everybody. Yeah, and you just go this And so I was like, yo, this makes no fucking sense. Why would he have, why would he be injecting himself? But also, He's rolling around in his bed if he's like, this guy is faking a seizure on a Friday night instead of partying in college. It doesn't make any sense. Yeah. And so I, I literally remember the line I said to myself in my own fucking head was like, I'm 99.9% sure this is bullshit, but on the chance that I'm off, this guy's going to die of fucking cancer. Yeah, <laughs> I'm yeah, going to yeah. feel like shit. Um, and actually what made it evident that he wasn't is he just eventually didn't die. Like he was we kept pushed, pushing. he kept pushing the, he, he just like, kept
2: pushing the date back. Oh, i going to die in a week. I'm going to die
1: in a month. Bro, oh, and, and so when new, somebody tells you that, I remember at the time, it was like, yo, they're going to die in a month. It's like, this is, they'd have to be crazy to lie about this yeah, because in a be month and a day, yeah. I'm going to start going. You know? And so after that happened, I'm, it, it buys you a certain amount of time where people, uh, you can go out on credit to be like, okay, none of this shit makes sense. But even sense. still
2: in school. Was it widely known that he had made it all up? I don't know about in or did school. People well, school think, or did people think people. he had just recovered? No, everybody knew. Everybody knew he lied. Everybody that knew he was lied, like, how do I put this? People who heard the lie knew. eventually knew it was a lie. No yes. one thought he had a miraculous recovery.
1: Well, he might have, I guess, so there's degrees of periphery of how close. He might have effectively told someone in one of his classes that he didn't spend time with that, like, he was um, ill or something. And then they asked him how he's doing, I'd be like, "Oh, I'm better now, but certainly there was a floor of people that lived there that they most of whom I would say believed he had cancer and that knew that he didn't at, at afterwards yes, yes, so it was a lot of fucking people and they and i yeah that that analysis of cost benefit just fails when you're dealing with that was i think the first time in my life that I dealt with someone that was. You call it neurodivergent or whatever, mm-hmm. but just like didn't play by the same rules. Um, and it, it uh, effectively slipped past my heuristics for that, for that reason. Yeah, yeah, that was the first I've since person. encountered
2: it a handful of times. Well, f- that was the first person who mm-hmm. was neurodivergent in a either narcissist or antisocial personality disorder way. Cause we, we had kids in school who had Asperger's yeah, or yeah, autism sorry, sorry. or whatever. Uh, sorry. But they're not, they're not like so scheming. Correct. And then there's more of the antisocial personality disorder or narcissist disorder where you are more, uh, you're not being neurotypical can lead to like long-term scheming. Yes. Yes. It was wild. Um, But yeah, I've seen it a couple times
1: since then. And it's like, uh, I am happy that my default was the first 18 years not encountering that because I am ridiculously trusting, I would say, of people. But... I don't, yeah, I, I've often wondered, like, what would you
2: do with a kid? Be like, be careful. Some people are
1: fucking nuts.
2: <laughs> and, well, it's funny you say this. I was just reading something by Adam Grant. He says that a lot of people raise their kids in order to try to keep their kids the safe. Edge cases, yeah. In order to try to keep their kids safe, they raise them that the world is dangerous. And apparently there's been six nationwide studies so far that have shown that for a kid's mental health, stability, and happiness set point, the best thing you can do is raise them that the world is largely good and has dangerous outliers. Mm -hmm. So if you're to say, listen, most strangers are totally fine, but you have to be careful of strangers because one out of a hundred of them might try to hurt you. That's, that's totally fine. You can't tell your kid to just trust everyone. But it's when you say like, don't trust strangers, all strangers are dangerous. You actually end up creating someone who's, you know, anxious or fearful and they don't, when raised that way, they in adult life they don't report as good in terms of mental health and happiness yeah no it's it's a nuanced thing and i think
1: probably for kids it's like do you believe that the world is baseline safe or baseline dangerous yeah and it's like if it's baseline dangerous yeah you'll never be caught but you run around with this anxiety
2: and stress the whole time and you'll but you'll never get tricked caught yeah. you know or something and if you think everyone is safe you'll, then be, you'll, you'll be you'll be taken advantage, advantage of, it. of it. <laughs> so t- you have to find the line yeah. of like most everyone is a, is fine but you have to protect yourself because you don't know who's who. Mm-hmm. That's according to Adam Grant. He's a professor at Penn. And he's an author. I wonder, and, and maybe, do you think kids are capable of that level of of nuance? I don't know. I mean, he seems to think so because he's, like again, like now I'm just parroting yeah, a yeah. weak version of what he thinks, but his impression is that that's the best way to raise kids according to his, like it's not prescriptive. He's just looking at studies and that seems to be what ends up with the best result in his mind. Yeah.
1: Well, it was interesting as I was watching and doing this video.
2: He has a great book, by the way. It's not related to child rearing, but it's called Give and Take. It's really a really good look on kind of um, prisoner dilemmas in the real world and how to, how to actually behave in terms of how much of yourself to give to people and when to ask for things from other people. It's really good. My friend has followed his advice to a T, and it's worked out very well for him.
1: Um, making the video and not actually knowing the 100% truth of what happened with Jussie, believing... It was interesting to me to, uh, as I made the video, it did show me how heuristics are only going to be right 99% of the time, I guess. And I thought this, as I was like, how to spot a narcissist, you know, these are heuristics that'll help you, Um, how to tell if someone's telling the truth or whatever, and what you just wind up with, I think, lady, is... You are going to be wrong some of the time if you take people with uh, stories like Jussie's that are completely like lacking in credulity and say you're full of shit. Eventually, you're going to get that wrong. Yes, yeah, someone that, will have a crazy someone story. Someone will that's have true. a fucking crazy story that's true. And I kept yeah. asking myself, I "Was like what distinguishes what he did from a crazy but true story?" Mm-hmm. And it's nothing. <laughs> <laughs> it's like this could it could have crazily fucking happened. Um, and how do we deal with that?
2: Okay, I actually kinda, don't have a good answer. That's kind of what I'm saying. Like <laughs> someone just runs into a really drunk NBA player who's just so yeah, drunk. That they're yeah. like, yo, man, I'm going to change your life <laughs> yeah. for the night. It's not because they like it. It's just because they're shit-faced. they like, yeah, come on, just for fun. And how do you know? I don't know. That happens one in a million times, yes, maybe. Yes. Maybe once a year it happens to one person. Yeah. And so if you're out there
1: just going, no, no, bullshit, 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 you will be right 99.9% of the time, but you're going to, I don't know, tease a guy who actually had something incredible happen on social media and i actually thought because i've the part of the reason i thought this is because when we've had people criticize us they've been like this is ridiculous this would never happen someone would never react this way i'm yeah, just like uh,
2: i don't fucking know what to tell our you that would be what i mean I our stuff is not nba players no, no, I, so, I won't say what it is because it's just more like yeah not, we don't have to brag about it anymore we're 34 but it's not a crazy story it's not uh Yes, but I've had that criticism. of, Like real people don't interact like this, which is like, yeah, bro, I, you don't know what people. Yeah, interact I think. Like this. <laughs> funny enough, I think that uh, there's a lot of people who go. Well, no, actually, that is how. <laughs> that's how my life works. Yeah, like it's not. It's not. Well, crazy so I was to trying think to come up would react with that well to a joke or yeah, whatever the story might be in
1: the video. I was like, how do you know if someone's lying? I was like, well, if they're if if you believe that they're behaving in a way that real humans don't, I was
2: like. That doesn't work because if you don't know how humans behave, then you can't. Well, even beyond, so I'll say like, let's say I'm going to make it up just so that it's not. There's a story about somehow you're talking to someone, a woman in a bar, and you're flirting, and then you walk away, and she chases after you. Some guys have had that life experience. They go, yeah, this is totally believable. But some guy has literally never seen anything close to it, just because he hasn't. Figured out yet how to interact with women in that way? So to
1: sorry, to to interrupt. I remember what it was. Do you want? Yeah, I mean, I know what it is. I was just trying to keep it vague. No, it was it was roses. I I I was in um Brazil. Some Uh, guy came around with a stack of roses. No, no, wasn't that one.
2: Oh, I just thought they couldn't believe you
1: hooked up with someone that hot. I don't know. (laughs) (laughs) It was it was a stack of roses, and I and I bought um a handful of roses at a store from one of those guys that goes and I saw I was like my. First couple of weeks in Brazil, in Florianopolis. And there was a girl that I liked. I thought she had left. I handed out the first couple of ones to another table. And then, like, I saw her outside hand to him. The first table that I gave roses to, I believe it's been a long time now, that they were like, you know, pick someone to give it to. You can't give it to all of us. I was like, okay, you. And then they clapped and cheered. Like, yay. Yeah. And the part was like, oh, and they clapped and cheered. This is how you end every fake story. I was like, I don't know what to tell you. Yeah, yeah. Sometimes bachelor parties (laughs) just clap and cheer. clap.
2: Yeah. Well, I think especially in terms of context, like a random, uh, a bunch of random people on a street clapping, maybe that's hard to believe, but if you've ever been around a bachelor party or well, a birthday a bachelor, party, it's just a group. No, I'm saying, just, if you just get a group, yeah. listen, you get a group of young, buzzed women, it's not crazy that they are excited and cheer about something. In any event. So I just realized that the heuristic of, does this sound fake? Yeah, because some people have never seen that. Yes. Some people have never experienced that. Just, so to them, it's impossible. Well, so what is the interesting? Well, then
1: I put myself in there. I was like, well, I've never seen a guy who liked Empire do this. But it's like, yeah, well, maybe Jussie did that night. Maybe he saw a guy who fucking hated his guts so much that he he tracked his Twitter down and dumped bleach on him and put a noose on him. And I just can't imagine human like that because I'm...
2: It's honestly it some some parts of his story could be true. I actually think it's only in their totality that they yes, get it's, odd. It's yes. like two guys you work with covered you in bleach, called you a homosexual slur and walked away. Okay. It seems believable. Uh, two white guys who love Trump and have a history of racism said this coming is up country, and yeah. say, this is MAGA country and drop the N-bomb on you and throw a noose around your neck. Sure. Two Africans, I believe from so Africa. No, 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 no. Sorry. He didn't say that it was out. He said it was white
1: guys. He said it was white guys, and then they they were looking for persons of interest who they because he had punches and shit and he did get checked in and, and looked at.
2: Oh, so he claims they weren't even there. He claims he no, still he says, says it wasn't was, them. He says it was ah, yeah, got but it. It's Two
1: AM on the night, and there's like not there are street footage, but everybody is
2: bundled to the f- to the gills because yeah. it's freezing outside. Got it. So he still says those aren't the guys. Mm-hmm. They're just sticking to their story. Mm-hmm. Have the guys ever come out and said we were coerced and it's not a true story? No. I don't think so. Interesting. It's tough cuz you don't have it all on public record, but I will say when I was making the police video, often what happens in police interrogations where an innocent person says that they did something they didn't do is they say it for a second and then take it back and try to try to undo it, but there's no take backs. And then they play the confession in court and he says I didn't I didn't I didn't, but people who have never been interrogated by police sit on the jury and go, I would never say that. The fact that he said that at all means he did it. But often what happens, so there's this kid, he, his dad was murdered while he was sleeping. And then they bring him in and they say, your dad just woke up from a coma after interrogating him for hours. They say, your dad just woke up from a coma and says, you did it. And he goes, my dad has never lied to me in my life. is in is internal monologue. He goes, I must've blacked out or something, a sleep murder. I don't know, because there's no way that my dad would lie and say I stabbed him when I didn't. So the fact that he came out of his coma and said that I did, I must have. So he goes, okay, well, then I must, have, I must have been sleeping or something when I stabbed him. Well, his dad was dead. They made that up. He didn't come back from a coma. And he later said, I was coerced. This is what happened. I didn't do it. I only said that because they said my dad was alive. But then they went to trial, and they just play the tape. And they say he admitted that he did it. And so then he went to jail. So it's weird that if they did, and again, it could be, could be possible, but it's weird that if they were coerced under 48 hours of police interrogation tactics, that they haven't come out since and said, hey, we didn't, like, this isn't true. Jussie's story is true. We only said this because we hadn't slept in two days and we were being barraged and we didn't know the law because we're not from this country. Mm. You know what I'm saying? So the fact that they've never said that I'd have to look it up. makes it stranger. Look but up. also maybe they said it and it's just not public. I don't know. Maybe the Maybe the prosecutor's just really good at burying it. Yeah. But often just when people do admit to something they didn't do because of police duress, they don't stick with it. (laughs) They very quickly say that happened because I was being bullied and it's not true. Got it. Cool. All right. What do you have? Not much. I just saw some stuff in the comments that I thought was interesting. Remember when we talked about why are all the presidents old? Yes, or not all presidents. Just why are Biden? It's actually the opposite. It's why are Biden and Trump so old last week? Mm-hmm. So one guy said he thinks it's because it's boomers, basically. Which I don't, I don't know if that's true or not. But I thought it was an interesting angle. It's just he said the reason that the presidents are becoming older and older is because the biggest voting block is getting older and older, mm-hmm. and young people vote less on average. So it's just like, yeah, that's just going to happen until the boomers die. So you're just going to get presidents that are the same age as the boomers. Mm-hmm. It's like oh, I don't know if that's true, but that is actually an interesting explanation. So I appreciated that comment. Interesting. Yeah.
1: I'd have to go back and track, uh, I guess. Yeah. How with Clinton into Bush, Obama's, was, was a little bit younger, I think, but
2: well, they, they were basically saying a lot. If you just look at a lot of the presidents, not in terms of the age that they were when they were elected, but their birth year, you're going to find a pretty tight range of years, yeah. which I think was interesting. Yeah. Cool. So I, I think, appreciate that comment. And then there was one comment I just wanted to do quickly because someone raised a question that I thought was I was surprised that anyone who could be a fan of ours had the question. So I was like, oh, maybe we should answer this. So the question was, hey, why are you guys so freaked out by the concept of divorce anyway? So what if two people get high on their hormones and fall in love, be together for a few years, get married, and get divorced a few years later? Seems to me if people are mature and respectful, you'll have an amicable divorce and get on with your lives without losing themselves. So it's not the end of the world. Because we often talk about how divorce is so bad. So I thought that was i I'm surprised anyone has that question. So do you want to answer that question? Oh, well, it's only, I mean... It could be amicable.
1: I think it's, what what is implicit in American marriage law is a legal contract that says half of what I take into this marriage now belongs to you in the event that we split. And I can't imagine any business contract being like, hey, I just want you to know, like, you're coming on. If this doesn't work out, you get half of this pre-existing business. And I happen to have a pre-existing business. So, there would be a, wild incentive for someone who already wasn't very happy with me because like, our happily ever after didn't work out. So it could be amicable, but it's like she's going to go get a lawyer. That lawyer is 100% incentivized to tell her what that she deserves half because she's entitled to half. And I watched this happen constantly. Like, I don't, you know, take Mackenzie Bezos, who took a third settlement. Um, I don't know in what universe she felt entitled to that. Like, how in God's name does she justify herself taking... Amazon money, for whom she, I think, worked as an accountant for a short period of time and otherwise wrote books unrelated
2: to it. Yeah. Well, we also, so again, you mentioned we're business owners. So we we also have a friend who is a business, he owns half a business. And in order to keep all of that business ownership and not give any to his ex-wife, he gave her, I think, all of the money he had, just straight up all the cash that he had. He wrote her a check. Yeah. For, so I mean, well, he, I don't want to say, what? I don't want to say who, but okay. <laughs> yeah, he wrote a check for seven million dollars He had. $7 million, <laughs> but he got to keep his whole business. And that doesn't happen when you're dating someone. Yeah. So that's why we, we're in all our questions when we answer fan questions or we talk about famous divorces, we have a very cautious view of marriage is because it's, it has a cost. There's really,
1: there's really two costs. One is if you don't have parity of income and net worth. If you do, it's kind of a moot point because there's no, there's no longer an incentive. Also, there's kids which cannot be split and divided. And so if it, you get a scenario where somebody wants full custody and th- then you are in deep trouble and as a man, you're kind of behind the eight ball on that one. Yeah, which so is, that's why
2: in a lot of our questions. That's the
1: brief, money and children.
2: Yeah, so that's why in a lot of our questions, there's an emphasis on finding the right partner, doing a lot of vetting, dating a lot beforehand is because it's actually to just get it wrong for a few years and then go, ah, it's not a big deal is it's actually much harder once you're married and have kids. Than when you're dating or friends or anything else really, so yeah. But the idea, I mean, just to be like, "Hey, we had some good
1: times together. It worked out. We're going to be wonderful co-parents together, and I'm not going to take half your shit because I don't think I deserve it." It's like, oh, that's not a big deal. I totally agree. <laughs> like, I'm bummed. Let's both go support each other as we like try to be happy in our own ways, and we'll we'll both uh, contribute to the parenting, and we'll make sure that we live nearby one another so that we can yeah. work this out. That doesn't sound terrible to me. That's just
2: not at you totally relinquish control of creating that outcome. It's also not when, the most common outcome. Y- to get both of those, to get both, yeah. I'm not going to take any money and will co-parent yeah, yeah, happily, yeah. is not, it's not what I see in the news or in friends or you know, older friends, whatever. That's it's not the default. I wouldn't bet on that. If you're like, oh, they're going to get divorced, what do you think is going to happen? I wouldn't take they share the kids perfectly in a way that works for the kids and they're both happy with and no money is exchanged. Well, it doesn't have to be no money. It would have to be what I a fair amount of money, which
1: is not the case because fifty percent of a completely lopsided earning and like just isn't. That's not fair. Um, the second highest paid employee in Amazon was not paid as much as Mackenzie Bezos was paid. Like it doesn't. It doesn't make any sense. She didn't contribute to the business in that way. Um, and she, she had, in my mind, no moral claim to the amount of money. She had a very strong legal claim, though, which is why Jeff
2: settled for a third instead of half, which he knew she could have come for. Yeah, yeah. So all so about that legal claim? One, yeah. of, one of the most important <laughs> skills you can have. Yeah. Writing contracts. Yes. Um, so let's do uh, audience questions. First one I have is, I have a friend
3: who used to date a different friend. They have been broken up for seven years, but now currently play D&D. The guy, Henry, likes the girl still, and the girl came out as gay. Any advice I can give Henry, because they both still like hanging out with each other, just that the girl doesn't like Henry in that way. Uh, He's frustrated that she probably isn't into him, but also wants to stay with her and not make things awkward. Should he just tell her or keep it to himself, realize they are not meant to be because relationships require two people's feelings? It's doubly weird because the girl's parents just recently died, so she is also dealing with that. To simplify the question, I have a friend who likes another friend, but their friend doesn't like them back. Any advice I can give to the snubbed friend? Yes,
1: he needs to go out and create some options in his life. Uh, Sticking over, getting upset over an ex is is enough of a sign of like it's you don't have options. Sticking over an ex who is gay at this point and has ruled your gender out of uh, (laughs) out of a shot is like that's, that's next level lacking in options.
2: Yeah. I also think oftentimes we're like, oh yeah, you should just say it like, you know, go out and express your truth. This one, I would say not because it's bad to express your truth, but just because of the circumstances. I think this is an internal solve, which is like, it's not on her to view this guy as a potential dating partner. It's on this guy to go. The fact that I'm, that I'm struggling with this so much and can't move on. I need to figure out what's going on in me. Mm-hmm. So I wouldn't, if it comes up naturally, I wouldn't hide it or lie about it. If she's like, oh yeah, like, do you still have feelings for me sometimes? Like that would ever come up. I think it's fine to be like, yeah, if you weren't gay, <laughs> I would <laughs> probably ask you if you wanted to try something again. Mm-hmm. So I don't think you have to lie about it or hide it, but to go out proactively and be like, this woman's parents just died. We're in a D&D group. She's gay. And I'm going to go, hey, I just want you to know I like you and I have a crush on you and I never stop thinking about you. I just want to throw that out there. It's like, no, this is only going to make things weird and hurt things. And you, the, like you should move past that and look at internally this. this uh, it's
1: also not reacting. And I, I don't mean I don't want to pile on because I'm sure that Henry is struggling in his own way. But it's like that's not a re- imagining a relationship with a real person. If he saw the person in front of him who is gay, he would recognize She's not in the relationship that could happen would be one where she felt unattracted to him, which would not be appealing. Like it's only by creating a, an imagination that blots out the evidence in front of him that he's capable of desiring this, um, clear eyes. He'd be like, Oh, this would be terrible. <laughs> like, oh, yeah. Why would I, She's why would I want to be in a relationship? at all? My genitals are wrong. <laughs> yes. Um, and it's yeah. So uh, what I would say, is if you, if you could help, it would be to either get Henry towards a um, realization of his own that that what he needs to do is like create some options, or inv- invite him to other sorts of things that put him in contact with other people, whether that's bars or other D and D events or something. Like uh, the thing that kind of scares me is I, I worry that the first uh, person, woman that shows Henry affection is going to become the object of his of his obsession given how uh sticky it seems and unresponsive to the facts of the matter but i would say uh yeah henry would be so much better off if he lived in a world with more abundance and that would be how like how can how can henry for himself cultivate that which Henry might be needs like work on Henry. Yes, he might have to go to the gym and and do that physical attraction thing. He might need to work on self esteem. He might need to do the charisma thing and learn how to like be more outgoing in uh, coffee shops and bookstores and all that kind of stuff. Um, but yeah, that would be my advice, and it would be for Henry, not really for you, because I understand that you're trying to help, but this one is gonna it's kind of far out of your hands.
2: Well, I think they're asking what what advice should I give Henry yeah
1: create abundance and options and then from that position
2: make a decision well yeah but that's it, not even make a decision at this point it's create abundance and options because you are not going to date
0: mm-hmm. a lesbian
2: mm-hmm. so <laughs> you have zero options right now you yeah. think you have one yeah. <laughs> but you, you don't have you have zero so go get more All right. I have one more. Um, Hello. I
3: just got out of a domestic violence situation with a narcissist. I was never physically hit, but I was controlled, manipulated and isolated from everyone I love and knew. I had to get a safety order against them and still have more court dates to come uh, to try and finalize it. I have been really trying to build myself back up. Ultimately, I'm hurting and although not as scared anymore, I feel so much shame and regret that I was with them and let them treat me so badly as long as they did. I believe I got into this relationship out of loneliness. The solution seems easy in theory, feel valid and happy on my own, and I won't need or chase anyone again, but I do feel lonely still. Mm. Um, I was at my happiest when I met them, and they destroyed my confidence. If someone can tear me down from my best, what hope is there? Do you have any advice?
1: Um, I, I mean, I, God, there's a, there's a lot of things that I want to say. I'm trying to think of the most helpful and useful order. The first thing would be that I know that there are like narcissists, I don't know what they call themselves, survivor support groups, which you might, I think, get a lot of value out of just being, because it sounds like the shame that you're carrying is one of the issues. And I think realizing that you're not alone in it, that there's a lot of people with um, disturbingly similar experiences Mm -hmm. is going to make you go, oh, like this is a thing that happens on the Mm semi-regular, unfortunately. But weirdly enough, that's that's, uh, liberating. So that would be the first thing is like, if if you're not already involved in forums or that or whatever, just to just to get an idea that you're not uh, uniquely flawed in in the fact that this was appealing to you, in at least at the beginning. Um, and then two is I would say is to try to either through therapy or something understand better why this type of relationship was appealing to you what it did for you because there are certainly people who are i think immune to dating narcissists because of their background and Mm -hmm. and when they see that shit they're like that's unattractive to me Mm -hmm. (laughs) like i can't I, i have to stop this now not even have to i want to yeah and the fact that that was not created inside of you is likely to remain a persistent problem until you address what pattern you're reacting or reenacting. Um, so getting the love you want, I think is an interesting book to start from. That one's kind of about how mommy, daddy and how we create those sort of patterns. But yeah, I think this is like a good, we talked about um, healing yourself as being kind of like a plant that's got like some core roots that are the wounds and they have all these leaves and all these things that grow. This is, a leaf that you can use to trace all the way back down into a root. I think of a core personal um, way of being that is probably affecting you in other areas of your life as well. And if you address it, you might see improvements in your work and your friendships and all that other kind of stuff. Um, So, yeah, rather than focusing on, like, what should I do about my next relationship? Is there even hope? There definitely is, but that's not where my head would be at right now. Um, I would encourage you to do more introspective work by yourself with the loneliness, with the desire for some of the affection that this narcissist paid you, um, with the question of what, why was I susceptible to some of these shitty behaviors as opposed to just completely repulsed by them. Cool.
2: Yeah, that's a good answer. That's
1: all I got. Very good. We're going to hop over to Patreon now.
3: What do we have, Justin. We're going to elaborate on Ben's belief that we're living in a simulation,
1: <laughs> uh, allowing yourself to play video games and then dealing with extreme failure. Nice. If you guys mm-hmm. want to check that out, we've got, it, it often is similar to the podcast in length. Your questions sort of serve as the topics. So those are just a few of them. There's a lot more. If you join a Patreon, you get to ask questions and dictate what it looks
2: like, and it keeps the podcast going. Justin gets a roof over his head. <laughs> so, so it goes to feeding Justin, housing Justin. Justin's League of Legends skins. (laughs) So if you guys want to check out more of the podcast, join us on Patreon. Any dollar amount gets you in. And that's it for us this week. Not really a skin guy, huh? Most of it's just going to food and rent. Yeah. I don't have any skins either. So we need more donors. Yeah.
1: So appreciate you guys. We'll see the rest of you over on Patreon. Take care.